Chapter 4 of Countess Erika's Apprenticeship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Vinay Mala. Countess Erika's Apprenticeship by Osip Shubin. Translated by Annis Levister. Chapter 4 On the evening of the same day, an old lady was walking to and fro in a large, tastefully furnished apartment looking out upon a little front garden in Bellevue Street, Berlin. Both furniture and hangings in the room, in contrast with the prevailing fashion, were light and cheerful. The old lady's forehead wore a slight frown and her air was somewhat impatient as of one awaiting a verdict. At the first glance, it was plain that she was very old, very tall, broad-shouldered and straight as a fur. In her bearing, there was the personal dignity of one whose pride has never had to bow, who has never paid society the tribute of the slightest hypocrisy, who has never had to lower a glance before mankind or before a memory. But it was at the same time characterized by the unconscious selfishness, disguised as love of independence of one who has never allowed ought to interfere with personal ease. Upon the broad shoulders, so well fitted to sport with dignity and power the convictions of a lifetime, was set a head of remarkable beauty. The head, noble in every line, of an old woman who has never made the slightest attempt to appear one day younger than her age. Oddly enough, there looked forth from the face, the face of an antique statue, a pair of large modern eyes, philosophic eyes, whose glance could penetrate to the secret core of a human soul, eyes which nothing escaped, in the sight of which there were few things sacred and nothing inexcusable, because they perceived human nature as it is, without requiring from it the impossible. Such was Erika's grandmother, Countess Anna Landoff. After she had paced the room to and fro for a long time, she seated herself with a short impatient sigh in an armchair that stood invitingly beside a table covered with books and provided with the student lamp. She took up a volume of Moposa, but a degree of mental restlessness to which she was entirely unaccustomed tormented her and she laid the book aside. Her bright eyes wandered from one object to another in the room and were finally arrested by a large picture hanging on the opposite wall. It represented an opening in a leafy forest, dewy fresh and saturated with depth of sunshine. In the midst of the golden glow was a strange group, two nymphs sporting with the shaggy brown fawn. The picture was by Bocklin and the forest, the fawn and the white limbs of the nymphs were painted with incomparable skill. Nevertheless, the picture could not be pronounced free from the reproach of a certain meretriciousness. It had never occurred to Countess Landoff to ponder upon the picture. She had bought it because she thought it beautiful, and certainly an old woman has a right to hang anything that she chooses upon her walls, so long as it is a work of art. Tonight, she suddenly began to attach all sorts of considerations to the picture. 
Meanwhile, an old footman with the duly shaven upper lip and very bushy whiskers entered and announced, Harfan Sido. I am very glad, the old lady rejoined, evidently quite rejoiced, whereupon there entered a very tall, almost gigantic officer of dragoons, with short fair hair and a grave handsome face. You come just at the right time, Goswin, she said cordially, extending her delicate old hand. He touched it with his lips and then obedience to her gesture took a seat near her within the circle of light of the lamp. How can I serve you, Countess? he asked. You are acquainted with my small gallery, she began, looking around the large airy room with some pride. I have frequently enjoyed your works of art, the young officer replied. The phrase was rather formal. In fact, he himself was rather formal. But there was something so genial behind his stiff North German formality that one easily forgave him his purely superficial priggishness. Nay, upon further acquaintance, came to like it. Rather antiquated in expression, your reply. The old lady rejoined. My small collection thanks you for your kindly appreciation. But that is not the question at present. You know my Bocklin? Yes, Countess. What do you think of it? He fixed his eyes upon it. What could I think of it? It is a masterpiece. Hmm, that all the world admits, the old lady murmured impatiently, as if vexed at the want of originality in his remark. But is it a picture that one would leave hanging on the wall of one's boudoir when one was about to receive into one's house as an inmate a granddaughter of sixteen? Give me your opinion as to that, Goswin. Again, Goswin Fancido fixed his eyes upon the picture. That would depend very much upon the kind of granddaughter, he said, frowning slightly. If she were a young girl brought up in the world and accustomed from childhood to works of art, I should say yes. If she were a young girl educated in a convent or bred in the country, I should say no. The old lady sighed. I knew it, she said. My booklen is doomed. Ah, she exclaimed, wringing her hands in mock despair. Pray, Goswin, she treated the young officer with the affectionate familiarity an old lady would use towards a young fellow whom she has known intimately from early childhood. Press that button beside you. The dragoon, evidently perfectly at home in the house, stretched out a very long arm and pressed the button. The footman immediately appeared. Ludek, call Friedrich to help you take down that picture. Friedrich has gone to the station, Your Excellency, Ludek permitted himself to remark. Yes, of course, everything is topsy-turvy. Nothing is as it has been used to be. Coming events cast their shadows before. It will always be so now, sighed the Countess. I will help you take down the picture, Ludek, Harfansido said quietly, and before the Countess could look around, there was nothing save a broad expanse of light cretonne and two hooks upon the wall where the booklin had hung. Ludek's strength sufficed to carry the picture from the room. Bring in tea, the Countess called after him. You will take a cup of tea with me, Goswin. Are you not going to wait for the young countess? Sido asked rather timidly. 
Oh, she will not be here before midnight. I don't know why Friedrich has gone at this hour to the station. Probably he is in love with the young person at the railway restaurant. Else I cannot understand his hurry. However, I thank you for your admonition. But my dear countess, exclaimed the young man, no need to excuse yourself. She cut short what he was about to say. I am not displeased. You have never displeased me except by not having arranged matters so as to come into the world as my son. Moreover, I should seriously regret the loss of your good opinion. Pray forgive me for not driving myself to the railway station to meet my granddaughter and to edify the officials with the touching and effective scene. Consider this is my last comfortable evening. Your last comfortable evening? Goswin Fonsido repeated thoughtfully. Now you disapprove of me again. The old countess complained ironically. Disapprove? He repeated with an ineffective attempt to laugh at the word. Really, countess, if I did not know how kind-hearted you are, I should be sorry for your granddaughter. He cleared his throat several times as he spoke. He always became a little Horace when speaking directly from his heart. Kind-hearted. Kind-hearted? The old lady murmured, provoked. Pray, don't put me off with compliments. What sort of word is kind-hearted? One has weak nerves just as one has an aching tooth, and one does all that one can to spare them. All the little woes one perceives, one relieves, if possible. Of course, it is very disagreeable not to relieve them, but the intense misery with which the word is filled, one simply forgets, and is none the worse for so doing. You know, it is not my fashion to deceive myself as to the beauty of my own character. You are sorry for my granddaughter? He would have assured her that he spoke conditionally, but she would not allow him to do so. Yes, you are sorry for my granddaughter, she said decidedly. But are you not at all sorry for me? Upon that point, you must allow me to express myself when I have made acquaintance with the young countess. That has very little to do with it, rejoined the old lady. Let us take it for granted that she is charming. Dr. Herbert says she is a jewel of the purest water, lacking nothing but a little polish. Between ourselves, I do not altogether believe him. He exaggerated my granddaughter's attractions a little to make it easy for me to receive her. He is a good man, but like two-thirds of the men who are worth anything. With a significant side glance at Sido, a little of a prick. But let us take for granted that my granddaughter is the phoenix he describes. It is nonetheless true that on her account, I must, in my old age, alter my comfortable mode of life and subject myself to the thousand petty annoyances which the presence of a young girl in my house is sure to bring with it. Do you know how I felt when my indispensable old donkey, the Countess Landoff was wont frequently to designate thus her old footman, Ludek, carried out my booklin. She fixed her eyes sadly upon the bare place on the wall. I felt as if he were dragging out with it all the comforts of my daily life. Ah, here is the tea. It has been here for some time, Sido said smiling. I was just about to call your attention to the kettle which is boiling over. She made the tea with extreme precision. 
it was delightful to see the beautiful old lady presiding over the old fashioned silver tray with its contents she wore on this evening a white tulle cap tied beneath the chin and over it an exquisite little black lace scarf a refined epicurean nature revealed itself in her every movement in the delicate grace with which she handled the transparent tea cups and measured the tea from its dainty candy in the gusto with which she inhaled the aroma of this very choice brand of tea there she said handing the young officer a cup you may not agree with my views of life but you must praise my tea which is in fact much too good for you who follow the wild german custom of spoiling it with sugar she herself had put in the sugar for him taking care to give him just as much as he liked she handed him a plate and offered him the delicate wafers which she knew he preferred she was excessively kind to him and he valued her he was cordially attached to her she had been his mother's oldest friend she had spoiled him from boyhood and had as she said thought the word of him this could not but please any man he appreciated so highly her kindness and thoughtfulness that until tonight the selfishness of which she boasted and by which she had laid down the rules of her life had seemed to him little more than amusing eccentricity but tonight her attitude towards her grandchild grieved him not that he regarded this grandchild from a romantic point of view he was no unpractical dreamer nor even what is usually called an idealist which means in german nothing except a muddled brain that deems it quite improper to hold clear views upon any subject or to look any reality boldly in the face on the contrary he had a very calm and sensible way of regarding matters consequently he thought it probable that the poor neglected young girl left for 3 years to the care of a boorish stepfather awkward and tactless as she must be under the circumstances would be anything but a suitable addition to the household of the countess lendorf but good heavens the girl was old lady's flesh and blood a poor thing who had lost her mother 3 years previously and had had no one to speak a kind word to her since if the poor creature were ill-bred and neglected whose fault was it in fact it passed his power of comprehension that the old lady should feel nothing save the inconvenience and annoyance of the situation that she should be stirred by no emotion of pity perhaps she guessed his thoughts she was skilled in divining the thoughts of others but she cared nothing about shocking people on the contrary she rather liked to do so when he picked up one of the books on her table she said none of your namby pamby literature goswin but a bright witty book tell me do you think that in my granddaughter's honor i ought to lock up all my entertaining books and subscribe to the children's friend let us take for granted that your granddaughter has not contracted the habit of dipping into every book she sees lying about goswin observed let us hope so she said with a laugh but who knows for 3 years she has been without anyone to look after her and probably she has already devoured her precious stepfather's entire library oh countess what would you have such cases do occur 
Look at your sister-in-law, Dorothea. She told me with an air of great satisfaction that before her marriage she had read all Billot. She avowed the same thing to me just after she came home from her wedding journey, and she seemed to think it very clever. Replied Goswin slowly. Hmm. The wicked fairy always asserts that you were in love with your sister-in-law. The old lady said, archly menacing him with her forefinger. Indeed, I should like to know upon what my aunt Brock founds her assertion. The young man rejoined coldly, "Why, upon the intense dislike you always parade for your pretty sister-in-law," the countess said with a laugh. "I do not parade it at all, but you feel it." Goswin von Sindo had risen from his chair. It is very late," he said, picking up his cap. "I have not driven you away with my poor jests," the old lady inquired as she also rose. "No," he replied. "At least not for long. If you will permit me, my dear countess, I will call upon you in the autumn, and until then, I shall not have that pleasure. Unfortunately, I leave with the journal tomorrow for Kiel, and came tonight only to bid you good bye." when i return i shall hardly find you still in berlin indeed i am sorry she replied first because i really like to see you from time to time although you entertain antiquated views of life and always disapprove of me and secondly because i had hoped you would help me a little in my granddaughter's education of course if she has already perused all belot it would suit you precisely countess he said railing her for then you could um, hang up your bocklin in its old place what an idea cried the countess but you are quite mistaken i should be furious if my granddaughter should be found to have read all belot's works indeed of course because then there would be absolutely no hope of your taking the child off my hands he frowned do you understand me the old lady asked gaily partly unfortunately you seem to have very little desire for matrimony i confess that for the present it is but faint let us hope that this mysterious erica will be charming enough to suddenly she turned her head a carriage was rolling along bellevue street already deserted at this hour because of the lateness of the season it stopped before the house the old lady started grew visibly paler and compressed her lips the hall door opened the servants ran down the staircase good night countess goswin touched the delicate old hand with his lips and hurried away on the staircase he encountered a tall slender girl in the most unbecoming morning attire that he had ever seen a human being wear and with gloves so much too short that they revealed a pair of slightly reddened wrists he touched his cap and bowed profoundly he carried into the street with him an impression in his heart of something pale slender immature pathetic concealing the germ of great beauty he could not forget the distress in the eyes that had looked out from the pale oval face he recalled the coldly sneering old woman in the room he had left with her disdain of all emotion he knew how she would be repelled by the red wrists and the disfiguring gown poor thing he said to himself in thoughtful mood he walked along a path in the thyr garden all around reigned silence 
the sweet vigor of the spring time was wafted from the soil from the trees from every tender soft unfolding leaf in the gentle light of countless sparkling stars the feathery young foliage gleamed with the ghostly pallor here and there a lantern shone a spot of yellow light in the dimness coloring the grass and leaves about it arsenic green no people were here who had anything to do only here and there a pair of lovers were strolling in the warm shade of the spring night the insistent rhythm of some popular dance interrupted the yearning music of spring which was sighing through the half open leaves and blossoms the noise annoyed him reminding him unpleasantly of the cynicism with which unsuccessful men are wont to want the bitterness of their existence he had walked far out of his way into the midst of the third garden more lovers another pair and still another except for them the place was deserted silent above were the glimmering stars and on the earth below them the tall trees full of life striving upward to the light everywhere breathed the fragrance of fresh young growth mingled with the aroma of last year's decaying leaves the thrill of life around with the echo in the distance of the vulgar dance music he could not have told how or why it was but sido was more than ever conscious tonight of the discord sounding through creation vainly seeking as it has done for centuries for its solution and in the midst of his discontent there arose within him the memory of the haunting distress in the young girl's large eyes and he was filled with warm eager compassion for the poor forlorn creature for whom there was no one to care he would have liked to take the child in his arms and soothe her distress as one would have petted a bird fallen from the nest or a truant beaten dog end of chapter 4